Pastor Xavier Reese points us back to the only one who is in control. What do you attribute your success to? What do you attribute your health to? Your security to? If it's not God, it's on shaky sand. Everything I have in my life, I look and I cannot take glory for it. It's not just because I'm a good person. It's not just because I'm a hard worker. It's not just because I've got my act together. It's because God has made a covenant with me and I have made a covenant with God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. There's no question, we live in a litigious society filled with attorneys who revel in the fact that they find loopholes in any contract or agreement. Well, there's one bond that cannot be changed, and that's the Word of God. Today, as he continues his study in the book of Leviticus, Pastor Xavier reminds us of the simple truths that are found in the unchangeable Word of God. Let's listen. Leviticus chapter 26, I've entitled the message, God's Word is His Bond. Today we live in a world where consequences are watered down and promises are often broken. Yet we should never think of God as we think of man. Man says many things, but he always falls short. But whenever God speaks, you and I should always listen. And we should mark it with an absolute certainty that he will keep his word. And because we are so earthbound and we deal so much with man, we often carry those things over to God. And in spite of how much we study the Word of God, in spite of how many times we see God's Word comes to pass in other people's lives, somehow we think that God's Word is different or I am the exception in my case. And in spite of the blessing and in spite of the consequences, men and women continue to disobey in spite of all the warnings. And you think that that would be enough, but it isn't. Our sin nature is so rebellious. Our heart is so in love with ourselves that we are determined to do our will and to get our way and if need be, destroy our lives to say, I live my own life. What a tragic commentary on man. Throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, God gives clear promises of blessings if man would obey his word. But he equally gives very clear promises on the consequences of disobedience. Just looking back to Genesis, the very first, God told Adam that he could eat of every tree that was in the garden. It was for him, the blessing. Beautiful paradise. Food, provisions, wife, everything. But he said of the fruit that's in the midst of the garden, you shall not eat. For the day you do, you shall surely die. Out of the very same words that the blessings came, the cursing came. And Adam was to mark both the blessing and the cursing. They both had the same authority. They both had equal power over his life. It was not in the hands of God to bring one or the other. It was in the hands of man to choose which one he wanted to receive. 
You know the story. Eve partook, he partook, and we're in this big mess. For when Adam sinned, we all sinned in Adam. And we all inherited sin nature. And therefore, each of us have our own will. And each of us bring our own consequences to our life. And those consequences, as we'll see, cannot be removed. Forgiveness is not the question. For that is always open. It is always there if you repent. But the consequences cannot be removed from your life. And you will have to bear those consequences for the rest of your life. And I think that is the battle, that is the warfare where you have to trust God for the wisdom, the strength, and the knowledge, and the perseverance to obey Him in spite of the consequences. And there is the battle. There is the warfare. God warned Israel to obey His angel who He sent before them to prepare the land that He would give to them in Exodus 23, 20 through 21. He says, you make sure you obey him because he will not pardon you. He will not pardon your transgression. And he warns them. In the next chapter, chapter 24 of Exodus, you know, they, they made the covenant. They said, oh, everything God says we will do. How easy it is to make a promise. A young man says, oh, yeah, I love you. I'll marry you. But then what happens three or four or five years down the line? Promises are made and broken every day, every minute. Jesus warns the six churches of the book of Revelation. Only one is not warned with a cursing. All six are said, if you do this, I will bless you. But if not, I will do this. So don't allow only the blessings and cursings of God to be marked only for Old Testament. You better search the New Testament. We don't have time this morning, but throughout the New Testament, there is equal balance of blessings and cursings. And it's not to the non-believer, though part of it is. If they repent, they'll be saved, forgiven. If they don't, they'll be damned. But they are constantly given to the believer in the New Testament. If you continue, if you obey, if this, if that, then I'll do this. It isn't carte blanche once it comes to Christ, is it? I wish it was, but it isn't. Let me give you some good advice. Believe God's word, fear God, and walk in obedience, and you will receive the blessings of God. Don't allow yourself to be in some false sense of assurance or the word that they use, security, because you come to church, because you carry a Bible, because you know Scripture, because you made an altar call, because you, were, you sat under the, a great teacher. Hey, Satan was number two in heaven. Can you top that? Where is he at now? Pride comes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. What an awesome warning to every person in the church of Jesus Christ. Now here in Leviticus chapter 26, God has given to Israel much instruction through the book of Leviticus regarding two things, how to worship God and how to walk with God. Therefore, God declares here the blessings they would receive if they obeyed His word and the judgments if they disobeyed. Notice as we go through this chapter and keep in mind always that God's covenant with Israel is always tied to the land. The land and the people go together. That's why the land was kept for them 
as they came back as a nation for the third time in 1948. I mean, stop and think about it. Israel's a pimple on the map. Why does it still exist? There's only one answer. God's word, his covenant. And they are evidence of God's covenant as they stand in the land once again. Notice here in chapter 26, and it's pretty lengthy, so you know we're not going to cover verse by verse, but we will point certain things out. The opening statement involves prohibition as well as a positive command. He says, You shall not make idols for yourselves, neither a carved image or a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves, nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. Notice, first of all, they were not to dishonor the image of God through physical representation. God is a spirit. If you're going to worship Him, you must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, I was from a Catholic background, and, you know, we're full of idolatry. And sometimes when you drive down the freeway, you look at people's dashboard, it looks like a museum. Um, and yet thinking that that's going to protect me. If there's any sharp object down there, if you get in a wreck, it's going to be a cause of injury to you instead of helping you. And yet, it's evidence that you have lost the consciousness of God. And you need some physical representation to replace the consciousness of God. Oh, if I can only get to the church. Oh, if I can only speak to this. No, God is all present. And if you're a believer, He dwells in your body. Never should you identify the presence of God with this building. Nor with me. Nor with anybody else. Though we may see a manifestation of God individually and corporally as a body and in activities that go on, but God is as near to you as your heart if you're a Christian. But notice secondly, in verse 2 he says, You shall keep my Sabbaths and revere my sanctuary. I am the Lord. They were to honor the Sabbaths affecting man and the land. Notice it's plural, Sabbaths. The Sabbath of the seventh day, the Sabbath year of rest, and the sabbatical Sabbath, which is the Jubilee, 49 Sabbath. Seven sevens, 49 on the 50th would be the Jubilee that he speaks about in Exodus 25. But notice they were also to honor and revere God's sanctuary. He had chosen them as a people to walk with them, to dwell with them. It would seem to be simple enough through these three edicts. And yet, they failed. In verse 3 down to 13, you have the blessings God promised. The conditional statement is given up front. Verse 3, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them. Notice first, if you walk in my statutes. Second, if you keep my commandments. Third, if you perform them. It's not enough to have and to hear, but you must do. There's the first part of deception. That because somehow I am tied to something or someone, I am equally participant of the blessing. Now, we can get away with that to an extent here on earth. We belong to a church that God is blessing. We experience and, and give witness to the blessing. But we may not be part of that blessing we're just enjoying the blessing, but we're not the result of the blessing. And so there's part of the deception. Here it's very clear we not only have to hear 
and be part of, but we have to be doers of it. You find this through the New Testament. Jesus uh, rebuked the Pharisees because their lifestyle was, was hypocritical. They heard, but they didn't do. They taught, but they didn't do. This is the problem that exists even today as you look to the church. We are not the exception. James 2.22 says, Be doer of the Word of God and not just to hear, deceiving yourselves. It's a form of deception. It's false security, false assurance. The blessings fall into three groups. You find them from verse 4 on down to verse 13. The first group, God gives provisions for food, verses 4 and 5. Then I will give you, notice then, as a result of verse 3, if you obey. Then I will give you rain in, your, in its seasons. The land shall yield its produce, and the trees in the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last till the time of vintage, and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. And so here you have verse 4, the early and the latter rains. God would ensure that he would water their crops. God would give everything necessary. They were to sow, they were to reap. God would take care of the rest. But secondly, notice verse 5, they would have an abundance of harvest. Not only would they sow and reap, but it would be abundantly. This would be tied to the blessing, to the obedience of the Word of God. You and I are the same way. If we are a doer of the Word of God, we reap not only God's early and latter rains in terms of what causes the goodness to come to our life, but we have an abundance of it. Did Jesus not say, I came to give you life and life more abundant? Not just eternal life, but abundant life. You say, when do I experience it? Right now. The minute you're born again, you receive eternal life. You pass from death unto life. But more than that, you have the capacity and ability to experience life to the fullest here while you're living. Now, because we live and dwell with man, there are many consequences that come into our life. And sometimes we are the innocent party. Sometimes we have nothing to do with the consequences to our life. It's someone else, an unfaithful maid, an, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, parents, whatever it may be. Circumstance beyond my control. And yet God was fully aware of that. He didn't make no exceptional clause. He says you can experience life abundant in spite of all that goes on in your life. I have to take God at His word. I cannot be selective in studying the word of God. I love the positive things, but the negative, well, you know, I don't want that. No, I have to take them, man. They come with them. In verses 6 through 10, you have God's protection from man and beast. He says, I will give you peace in the land. You shall lie down and none will, uh, will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts and the sword will not go through your land. You will chase your enemy. They shall fall by the sword before you. Five shall chase a hundred and a hundred shall put ten thousand to flight. Your enemy shall fall by the sword before you. He goes on to speak there, verse 9, And I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful, multiply you and confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat the old harvest and clear out the old because of the new. There's three important things here regarding God's protection from man and beast. Notice first, man would be able to sleep at night without fear. Verse 6. When you can go to bed and sleep at night, you know, you're not worried. If, if, if you're worried about something, of, of, of somebody breaking in or, or whatever, you can't sleep. There's nothing more miserable than go to bed and you have to think to go to sleep. 
You're not supposed to think to go to sleep. You're to go to sleep. The psalmist promises, I will give them sweet sleep. Those who, who? Who trust and rest in me. That's a tremendous benefit because if you get good sleep, you can have good health. If you have good health, you can produce your crops. It's all tied. You can have anything you want, but if you don't have sweet sleep, your health is going to suffer. Your work is going to suffer. Secondly, he's able to overcome his enemy in spite of the odds. Verse 7 and 8. Look at the odds. Five shall chase a hundred. A hundred shall put ten thousand to flight. You say, oh, you really believe that, X? Yep, we have records of in the Old Testament. But how about today? You remember the one guy that knocked out all kinds of uh, Syrian tanks, just one tank from, from the Israeli war? One knocked out all of them. And if the, if, if the Syrians would have known that there was only one tank instead of hundreds of tanks, they could have come down the Golan Heights and gone all the way down into Tel Aviv. They turned back. It's still for today. Memory is talking to Israel. Thirdly, he's able to relate the blessings to the covenant, verse 9 and 10. As you receive the blessing, as Israel received the blessing, they will say, yeah, this is because of the covenant. It's not just because I'm a good person. It's not just because I'm a hard worker. It's not just because I've got my act together. It's because God has made a covenant with me and I have made a covenant with God. What do you attribute your success to? What do you attribute your health to? What do you attribute your security to? If it's not God, it's on shaky sand. Everything I see, everything I have in my life, I look and I cannot take glory for it. As God saved me, man, He has done a tremendous job in my life. In spite of myself, not because of myself. And yet as I see God's hand upon my life, I have to say it's because God made a covenant with me and I've made a covenant with God. And not just because I'm so smart. It's so subtle that we start attributing things to our own goodness, to our own ability. It's the snare of man. Dependence on me. I know the ropes. I've been around. I've got enough experience. And therefore, it's all because of who I am. That's humanistic philosophy. That's what our kids are being taught in school. That's what the religion of evolution propagates. We are evolving. We are getting better. The only thing we're getting better at is better at sin. Over and over and over again. But there's a third blessing. And again, if you follow these down, there is a heading and then the various forms under each heading. The third one is in verse 11 through 13. God's promise of dwelling with them. This may not seem anything to you if you don't know God, but what a tremendous privilege that God would want to dwell with you. That God would promise to dwell with you. He says, I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and you and be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright. Notice here, God's promise of dwelling with Israel. First, he would tabernacle among them, verse 11. That God had given them a pattern. We've studied it. Exodus 25, the tabernacle. 
erecting it at the end of Exodus. The whole sacrifices, the first seven chapters, then eight with the laws, nine, ten, dealing with the priesthood, and then eleven to fifteen, all the laws of, of cleanliness and all the things you're supposed to, and so on and so forth, all the way up here. God dwelt with them. He chose to dwell with them. He would tabernacle among them. What a privilege. Well, the New Testament tells us that Jesus Christ, who was God, and who was with God in the beginning, became flesh and took on a tabernacle, a tent, to dwell with men, First John, in John 1.14. We beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus now tells you that He dwells in your body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He has chosen your tent to dwell in, to abide. Your body is the holy of holies, if you will. And only that priest could enter in, remember, once a year. Only he would be able to enter in and to see and to know it's an interesting that God dwells in your heart and mind and only you and I know the holy of holies of our own life. No one else. God is very, very personal. Notice also He would walk among them in fellowship. Verse 12. He would walk among them. Speaks of Fellowship. He would lead them. He would guide them. He would counsel them. He would chasten them. He would cover them. Interaction. Fellowship. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 through 4 says, This is our joy, that we have fellowship with God, God with us, and we with each other. And in this, our joy is full. To think that we can fellowship with God and that we can fellowship with each other to some certain degree of appreciation only because we have God as a common denominator. How fast and how easy fellowship is broken down between you and I and man and man and woman and woman or man and woman when there is no God. It's always based upon physical appearance, sexual gratification, or money that can come in. Some kind of pleasure, some kind of thrill, some kind of goosebumps, something. And when that's gone... Fellowship is gone. Thirdly, he had freed them from the bondage of sin. Verse 13. You see the very evidence that he dwelt with them is he had delivered them from sin because God cannot have anything to do with sin. You and I have come to Christ and the reason he fellowships and dwells with us is because we have repented from sin. We no longer dwell in sin. We don't practice sin and therefore he rejoices in us and he fellowships with us. Who do you fellowship with? People that always do you wrong? Of course not. Have you ever had somebody betray you and then act like nothing happened and they call you up or come over? What is your first reaction as you open the door? Oh, brother, give me a hug. No. You want to punch him right in the mouth. You say, what in the heck are you doing here? Now, do we think we can sin and then walk in and say, hi, Lord, how are you doing? Now, you and I might say, what the heck are you doing here? He won't even say that. He won't have fellowship with us. Though we may think we have access to him, when sin enters in, we have no access whatsoever. If you regard iniquity in your heart, God will not hear you, Psalm 66, 18 says. God's hand is not short that he cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear, but your sins, my sins, have separated us from God, Isaiah 59, 1. And so I can't deceive myself. Sin can deceive me. The world can deceive me. Satan can deceive me. Man can deceive me. Man, I've got all kinds of things that can deceive me. 
How can I help being deceived? Stay in the Word. Stay in prayer. Stay in fellowship. Stay accountable. Stay in an attitude of repentance. Stay in the light. Here you have the blessings, three groups. Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truths about the impact of sin. And you can request a copy of today's challenging study from Leviticus called God's Word is His Bond. And of course, it's available on CD for just $4. And make sure you request an additional copy to pass along to those in your Sunday school class or your home Bible study. The title to ask for once again is God's Word is His Bond. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's important that you include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Now, why do so many people live like slaves when freedom is available just for the asking? Find out more when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com